Well, for the next couple weeks, I'm, I'd like for us to look at what it means to worship God. Now, we're not going to focus on what worship looks like or what style of worship or what's in the bulletin or how many songs to have or which songs to have. We're not going to look at those types of things. Those are kind of superficial things when it comes to worship. In John chapter 4, Jesus talks about worshiping in spirit and truth. That's what I want us to focus on. Kind of some basic understandings of what it means to live a life of worship so that it's not just something that we do one hour a week, but that our entire lives, wherever we go, can be worshipful, if that makes sense to you. So, so let's get right to it. Let's start with a prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day you've given us and for the opportunity to open up your holy word. And we pray that, Lord, that through this very unusual story, you might speak to us, uh, that we might come to know you and love you even more deeply than we do right now. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. You know, it, it, it's, it's been said that, that you can tell a lot about somebody by how they react when things aren't going so well. You know, that that's really when we get to know somebody. When life's going great, when our team is winning, when everybody's getting along, it's easy to be in a good mood. It's easy to enjoy life. Churches are that way. The attendance is growing. The giving is strong. Everything's going great. But you don't really know how healthy a church is until something happens that shakes everybody. Then you'll know. You know, when... when Anxiety hits when the unexpected happens in our lives. It's not always easy to stay joyful, is it? Our true selves sometimes, sometimes just bubble to the surface when we face those unexpected obstacles in life. It's amazing how many Cubs fans have emerged this season now that they have the best record in baseball. Everybody's a Cubs fan, except in this church, but everybody is a Cubs fan. Now, we lifelong diehard Cub fans have been waiting our entire lives for a team like this. And the cynical side of me wonders how many new Cub fans there will still be if they fall to last place later in the season. After all, they are the Cubs. Who knows what can happen? But the same principle applies to families and churches and relationships. Throw a little stress in the mix and you'll see how strong these relationships really are. In our scripture passage today that Jared just read, we see the newly crowned King David starting off his administration with a worship parade. David had not been king long and he wanted to make sure that everybody knew what kind of king he was going to be. You see, the Ark of the Covenant, you know that gold box that contained the the Ten Commandments and other writings that God inscribed on those tablets? It had been kept in a storage unit in a town called Kiriath-Jerim. And David said, let's take that thing out of the storage unit and let's bring it to Jerusalem. He wanted to make the Ark of the Covenant the centerpiece 
of his kingdom. I mean, it contained God's covenant. He wanted God's word to be primary in in his kingdom, in, in his administration. So David assembled as many people as he could find so they could have a grand procession from Kiriath Jerem all the way to Jerusalem. They were going to have a parade, a march it all the way across the country. So they, so they put the ark on a brand new ox cart. They built one, very elaborate, very ornate, just for this occasion. They set it on there. And the ox cart was led by these two guys, Uzzah and Ahio, whose father, Abinadab, had been storing the ark at his place. It was his storage unit, I guess. So his sons were, were steering this ox cart. I mean, after all, they were used to caring for the, for the ark when it was stored at their house, so they took the lead. It made sense in, in guiding uh, the ark of the covenant on this cart. So verse 8 says that when they were going towards Jerusalem... They were making quite a scene. I mean, th- th- this was a time when there wasn't a lot of loud sounds other than crowds. And as they made this worship procession, they were singing, they were dancing, they were playing trumpets and cymbals, tambourines, lyres, harps, all, I mean, it was a worship band going all the way across the country in this grand procession. This was worship to the extreme. Now, at one point, the ox cart hit a pothole or a stone or a stump or something, and it bounced. And it looked like the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall off the cart. Oh my goodness, this prized possession, this holy box is about to fall off the cart. So since he was charged with taking care of it, Uzzah grabbed the ark to keep it from falling and he dropped dead. I guess you're not supposed to touch the ark. Well, you know, if there's, if there's one way to put a damper on a powerful worship service is when God zaps somebody and they drop dead. And this definitely put a damper on this worship parade. Yet, when we look at David's reaction to this, He didn't just stop worshiping. The Bible doesn't say that David was sad because Uzzah died. Verse 11 says he's furious at God for doing this. And the word in Hebrew is that he was downright furious. I mean, this is furious with an exclamation point after it. He's mad at God for doing this. I mean, it's like he's saying, come on, God, why'd you have to ruin our festive day by doing that? Uzzah was only trying to help. Give us a break. Why did you do this? And, and, you know, I'll be honest, when we read this, we have to wonder what the big deal is. Why was it so wrong for Uzzah to touch the Ark of the Covenant? I mean, he was just trying to protect it, wasn't he? He's trying to keep it from falling off the cart onto the dirt. I mean, he should have been honored instead of being struck dead. But here he is, struck dead by God. Well, after Uzzah's demise, David's mood changes completely. There's no more singing, no more tambourines, no more dancing. In fact, 
just minutes before when David wanted this ark to be the center point of his administration. Now he wants nothing to do with it. Just like that. He wants nothing to do with the ark, so he decides to stash the ark in somebody's house for three months so he could figure out what to do. I mean, he had a reputation. This is not going to help him. He wanted nothing to do with the very item that he wanted to be the center point of his kingship. Isn't that a crazy story? What are we supposed to take from this? What does this have to do with worship? I see that on your faces. Where's the fool going with this? Well, first of all, I, I think we see the fickleness of David. You know what it means to be fickle? Just to change your mind on a whim. Always changing your mind. You like this, then you like that. You like this, then you like that. I mean, David could worship God when things were going great. But when tragedy stuck, struck, all he could do was blame God. Praise God in the good times. Blame God in the bad times. That hits close to home, doesn't it? Maybe you've been there. We feel close to God when life is going the way that we want it to. But when we experience difficulties in life, we may tend to hold resentments against God. I mean, I've had my share of struggles in life. At times, I've questioned where God could possibly be in the midst of all of these struggles. I mean, let's face it, it's, it's, it's difficult to understand why certain things happen, isn't it? But I think we have to remember, we, we must remember that God doesn't make bad things happen to us. Tragedies in life are part of living in a fallen, sinful, imperfect world. Things just happen. If this were heaven, we wouldn't have to deal with difficult times and tragedies. But this isn't heaven. This is fallen earth, sinful earth. And so we're going to have to deal with some of these things. But the joy is that God is with us in the midst of them. Now when, when our relationship with Jesus can be the same regardless of what's going on in our lives, good times or bad times, when our relationship with Jesus can be the same, then we know that our love for God is authentic and not just a surface level love. And I think that was part of David's problem here. David's grandiose worship parade wasn't for God. It was for David. It was for his reputation. David wanted to show the people that unlike the previous king, Saul, who was kind of a nasty guy, he, David, was committed to God. That's what he wanted everybody to know about him. He wanted the people to know that he was so committed to God that he was going to place God's commandments at the forefront of his administration. Look, everybody, aren't I a great guy? 
I'm going to do what God says to do. And so his grand parade across the country would make sure that everybody knew that. Well, now that Oza dropped dead from touching the ark, his reputation was going to have to be restored. Because the people may have been thinking, oh, God must not be blessing David. Look what happened in his worship parade. Oh, my. It's not, definitely not the spiritual PR that David was looking for. But see, when our worship of God becomes about ourselves, we're not worshiping God. When our service or ministry in the church is meant to show other people that we're committed to Christ, look at me, look at my faith, look what I'm doing, we're really serving ourselves. Any time that we become the center of a ministry, we're no longer in ministry. In David's attempts to show the people how dedicated to God that he was, it cost a man his life. I think this, this leads us to another important lesson in this, in this interesting story. And it's pretty basic. If David had simply followed the instructions for how to transport the Ark of the Covenant, they wouldn't have had a problem. See, the, the book of Numbers, which David knew, he should have known, his Bible's a whole lot shorter than ours is. The book of Numbers clearly states that the Levites, who were the priests, they're the only ones who should ever move the Ark. And it goes on to specify that the ark should never be placed on a cart. Duh. But it's supposed to be carried by the priests with long poles through its rings. I mean, hello, Indiana Jones knew how to do it. You don't touch the ark. You use long poles and you put it through the holes on the side and you carry it and only the priest should do it. See, the ark was too holy. God's word is too holy to be placed on an ox cart. I mean, if if you look at 1 Samuel 6, it was the pagan evil Philistines who transported the ark of the covenant on a cart. That's what the pagans did. Yet that's how David had his own people do it. And poor Uzzah died because of it. See, as, as, as the people of God, we should follow God's instructions about how to get through life. We should follow God's instructions for how to worship and honor God, not follow the world's example. See, so much of life isn't what we do It's how we do it. God wants us to do things his way because he knows what's best for us. Proverbs 14.12 says that there's a way that seems right to us, but it only leads to death. But the ways of God lead to life. Let's get back to David. David. Good thing about David is that when we read the scriptures, when he makes a mistake, 
he owns up to it. He knows himself well enough. And he seems to have learned his lesson. Because we find in chapter 15, verse 2, three months after that Uzzah incident, he realizes that moving the Ark of the Covenant isn't simply about moving the Ark of the Covenant. He still wants God's word to be at the center of his administration. And so he still wants that ark in Jerusalem. But this time, why don't you priests take care of it? Smart man. In fact, we see throughout chapter 15 that David placed the priests in charge of the whole thing. And David is not out front of the parade. Look at me, look what I'm doing, look. He's in the background. Chapter 15, this whole event of bringing the ark back a second time, David's not around at all, hardly. His attitude in this second attempt to bring the ark to Jerusalem is completely different from his first tragic attempt. This time, he's not trying to demonstrate to everybody how committed he is to God. In fact, as they approached Jerusalem, he looked rather foolish for a king. You know how kings are supposed to act, you know? You're supposed to act a certain way, right? You're not supposed to do things that are below you, you know? You're the, you're the king. Well, as David came into Jerusalem, he's dancing Leaping for joy. He's singing at the top of his lungs. And it says at least one person looked at him with disdain. Like, oh, how embarrassing. Hardly proper etiquette for a king. Hardly the way he would want to start his administration. And after the, the ark was placed in its permanent location in Jerusalem, if you read what David doesn't do, he doesn't go through the city saying, look what I did. If you want to see the ark of the covenant, it's over there because I put it there because I, I want everyone to know that I'm committed to God. He doesn't do that. In chapter 16, verse 43, it tells us what David did after the Ark of the Covenant was brought into its place in Jerusalem. Listen to what David did. The Bible says, he went home and he blessed his family. Isn't that interesting? He went home. Didn't go around telling everybody what he did. He just went home. And he blessed his family. Now I think we dads need to pay attention here. Especially if we want to be a blessing to our children. See, our kids don't care how successful we are. Our kids don't care what title we have at work. They don't care about that stuff. That's not important to them like that might be important to us. They just want to know that we love them. And what's important to us 
is going to be important to them because they watch everything we do. So let's be careful what's important to us because we model life to them. See, when our relationship with Jesus isn't about other people admiring our relationship with Jesus, then we're able to be a blessing to others just as David was to his family. I think sometimes in the church we feel this pressure to want people to think that we have it all together. You know, we try to out-holy each other. It's like we're getting ready on Sunday morning. Honey, I can't find my Christian smile. Have you seen it? I laid it there last Sunday and I got to find it again. Why do we do that to ourselves? When we try to out-holy each other, it's, it's like trying to go through life with these beautifully polished spiritual chains. Jesus came to free us from chains. Living a Christian life that's authentic is simply loving Jesus in a way so that it spills out into other people. Living a life of worship is living without any agenda other than Jesus being everything in us, regardless of the reputation we might have. Listen, if if your relationship with Jesus has lost its authenticity, maybe maybe it's time to hit that spiritual reset button. Reboot your relationship with Christ. Start over. Reset it. Because it's easy for us to fall into this trap of appearances. And then we go home and we are honest with ourselves and oh boy, that was a good show. But nobody really knows me. Let's not be fickle about our faith. Let's not allow our commitment to Jesus just to be a show. Let's live for Jesus the right way, abandoning all for Christ, even if we look foolish doing it. Because that's what it means to worship God. It's to focus on God in such a way that you don't care how you look. In our early service, Hasiel, our worship leader, in the middle of the song, he said, look, we're singing about raising our hands, but y'all aren't. Why? He said, just everybody close your eyes, then you can raise your hands and praise God and no one will see you. Why are we so concerned, like David, with our reputations, with what everybody will think about us? That's worshiping ourselves, isn't it? It's the opposite of what God calls us to do. Let's pray.